Hey guys, it's Jennifer from Shooter's Mindset, and we are live with episode 419. We've got our co-hosts tonight. Corey, how's it going? I feel incredibly underprepared. I don't have a robot in the background. <laughs> I know. We're not as cool. I know. Greg, how's it going? Going awesome. really well, guys. I oh, you said Greg. I put, this is going to be awkward. Oh, this is going to get real confusing. But I'm good. How are you, Craig? Cannon, how's it going? <laughs> and our guest of the hour is our friend, friend of the show, which I can't believe it's been so long since we had you on, but Craig Arnzen from Area 419. I know we were doing the IPRF winter shows, but we could not resist having Area 419 on the show that is episode 419. So it just made sense. I, perfect. It's it's so perfect, and I appreciate you guys having me, thinking of me. Uh, you know, obviously, because 419 episodes is an enormous accomplishment for you guys. It's a lot. Of, it's it's effort. It's persistence. It's sticking with it at times that I'm sure you didn't want to. Uh, and I know that I don't know what episode we were on five years ago when I was here last, but the reality is five years is a lot of time in a person's life. Um, Jennifer, I know you've had a lot of things changed in your life. Corey, you grandmastered 32 new disciplines in that time. Um, a little bit. And, and Right. And, and Greg, I know it's happened with you too. I know the team here has changed a little bit uh, in the shooter's mindset. But the reality is you guys have stuck it out through an enormous number of episodes. And uh, kudos to you guys for that. Thank you. It is definitely a labor of love. <laughs> that, that sometimes I have a love-hate relationship with. <laughs> honestly but I do love doing it it's just I uh, wish I had more time if we could figure out how to like make a living on this I would absolutely love it but then I have to like get up and go to work which is just no fun <laughs> right one more little uh piece of business I want to take care of real quick is uh Corey what was yesterday oh right uh, I got older he got older he made another trip yeah. around the sun so happy yeah, birthday, Corey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I told him he Appreciate can't eat cake in front of me because I'm trying to diet. He told me he was going to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was just egging you on. I'm on a diet too. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. So let's jump into Area 419 because I feel like there is a lot for us to see and it's all the cool things, um, including everything going on behind you. But Start out for anybody that's not familiar with you and let us know kind of a little about yourself, how you got into competitive shooting, how you got into Area 419. Sure. So I'll start with talking about Area 419 and kind of where I am literally right now. Um, Area 419 is a manufacturer of precision rifle parts and accessories and reloading tools and equipment. Uh, we kind of got going, you know, the early days of Area 419. Well, John Addis started the company, owns the company, founder, CEO, the, the man. Oh, you see the robot moving behind me here. That's Homer, our newest employee. Uh, <laughs> John started as a guy who liked shooting. He liked custom rifles, precision rifles. But as a college student, he was at University of Toledo uh, getting his mechanical engineering degree. That was expensive. And he was working at Gander Mountain at the time, along with Justin Watson, our VP of operations. I'll come back to Justin. Uh, and... Gander Mountain shuttered their gunsmithing program. And at that time, John saw an opportunity to buy a little manual mill and a manual lathe for very little and teach himself how to use them. 
So if you go back on our YouTube channel a way long time ago, you'll find some very early days of John doing manual gunsmithing as a hobby. Uh, and that's kind of what Area 419 was from 2011 to 2016 or so. Uh, 2016, John comes up with an idea for a product that has been our kind of standard barrier for all that time, and that's the Hellfire, the way that it attaches to the rifle. You know, he was he was gunsmithing, he was threading muzzles, he was attaching other muzzle brakes, and it was either a pain to time and custom turn and blend a, a kind of standard blended your muzzle or seamless muzzle mm -hmm. brake. Or he was using a jam nut style. You know, you, you could pick those up from a few different places. And he would get them on. He would time them. Didn't like the way that the concentricity of the brake was affected by the jam nut. So yeah. sitting around the shop, he was studying Cat 40 tool holders, the, the common tool holders that go up into a, a vertical mill. And thought, they're onto something here with the way that they grab and, uh, and resist twisting and, and, and turning under load. And got to work and designed ultimately the uh, the Hellfire and the patented Hellfire attachment system with the shallow taper. I have uh, to during tell 2016. You, Go ahead. I have to tell you that that product was one of the best demonstrations at Precision Rifle Expo and the most uh, genius marketing I've ever seen because. You know, you go to Precision Rifle Expo and you get to shoot a lot of cool stuff, right? And it's very cool. But no, whenever you go to your booth, you don't just shoot it, right? Y'all were like, okay, lay down and shoot this with no break on it. Feel what it feels yep. like. Now I want you, Jen, who, you know, doesn't have the man strength of, you know, everybody else's man hands. I want you to put this break on this gun and shoot it again and feel a difference and it it yep. showed two things it showed me how easy it is to put on and off and it showed me the difference that that break makes between shooting without a break and shooting that one and the, the difference of the felt recoil and watching your impact and all of that so genius it was probably october ish of 2016 uh the first batch of hellfires is ready to go and i get one and i, I go shoot it might have been, it might have been Gap Grind 2016. I had one on the gun, and what I would do when people would say, you know, they knew something about it, had seen it online, they come ask me about it, and in the middle of the match, I would take it off of my rifle, hand it to them, and then have them put it back on my rifle for the same reason, understanding how it times and installs, but also to show the confidence that we had in how the system worked on repeatability, mm -hmm. uh, and that was that was the beginning, really, around that time period of me being part of 419. And I, I started shooting maybe a year before that. Um, the, let's see, late 2015, I started shooting for the first time, got really into it. In 2016, I was on the website of some guy I'd never heard of uh, at Area 419 trying to buy a bolt knob. And I couldn't buy it online. So I, I reached out to ultimately John and said, hey man, um, have some problems with the website. I think maybe I, I, I think I can maybe help you. Or we worked out a deal. I, I built area419.com the website at the time and um you know we're the rest is history that's, that's my involvement there i worked remotely kind of as a hobby thing for a while john ended up leaving his full-time job on january 1 of 2017 he thought it was going to be a, a year or two process turned into a, a couple months so things went really quickly for him uh he hired justin about a year later 
uh, Justin Watson, again, our VP of operations, is an unbelievably talented and, uh, and detail-oriented and focused operations guy. And he's the one that makes the business run on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and he's got an enormous heart. Uh, he's, he's HR. He's dad inside the shop. Wonderful guy. Uh, comes on and I think it's late 2017, early 2018, full-time. And at a time, Justin was just changing parts in the machine so that John could spend more time, uh, more time designing and working through things that he needed to. And now, ultimately, Justin's role has has changed. Uh, but we, we grew at that point. We expanded the shop there a couple times, added machines, changed the way we did things, added new products, moved into this building uh, in its original form in February of 21, and then almost immediately started building onto it again. So now we've got. 46,000 or so uh, square feet under roof. There are, I believe, 15 CNC machining centers behind me, including the automation cell that you'll see. Uh, you'll see get to work every 18 or so minutes behind me. And it allows us to, we get to do the coolest thing in the world every single day. And the, the blessings that we have <laughs> encountered in this business and the people that we've been fortunate enough to run into and connect with the, the members of the team here are unbelievable. Um, I've got the easiest job in the entire place because John is outrageously bright uh, and, and gifted in designing products and knowing how products can be made and understanding how to get across the line with something that's going to be good from product number one to product number 10,000. Um, Justin makes the wheels on the bus go round and round. I mean, he, everything in the shop runs tightly. Uh, the place is clean. The staff is unbelievable. And again, he's he's making the ultimate hiring decision on basically everybody in the building. Uh, and all I have to do is make really wonderful products that are sitting on a shelf, go to people who, who want to have them anyway. So uh, I think I've really beat the system here in, in looking into <laughs> the right situation with the right people at the right time. Uh, and man, it's it's surreal. It's well, don't don't underestimate yourself, though, Craig, because you do a phenomenal job of getting out there. I mean, y'all have great products. You could just sit behind the desk and be like, "Oh, yeah, these are great products," but you're out there. I mean, I remember, I think in Wyoming, we walked into the restaurant we were all eating, and y'all had the reloading press clamped yeah. to the table, demonstrating it in the restaurant. Yeah, so that was uh, a more than that, just about how fun it was to build on. Maybe the first one they did outdoors in Salt Lake and like a stick of Wyoming. And the press wasn't on the market yet. We uh, had like just skipped the first one. Uh, and Rob, Rob Latham, Jeremy Sonny, Chris Sonny, Jeremy Thompson, a whole crew of people. I'm going to forget the 25 people I was talking about them. But we were definitely in a some version of a dive bar or a pool hall. $400 prototype. And, you know, I was have to hear you, uh, background noise. It sounds like the machining process is taking over your voice for some reason.
Is that any better, or does that make it worse? That is actually no, that's better. actually better. Okay. I've got two mics. Yeah. I've got AirPods going, then I've also got a shotgun mic here, so we can work out what works out. Yeah, that's why, we, that's why we're making ugly faces at you. It was a great story, but we're like, we're really trying to hear. <laughs> that's okay. It's all right. Yeah. So I just want to take a step back. I haven't ever heard, but what does Area 419 mean? Like, where did the 419 uh, come from? I know it's something sure. it's simple. Our it's our area code. I figured as much. Okay, no. I just wanted to get that number, out there. You're calling into Area 419, 419 830 You know, it's, yep. that, that's our phone number. Yeah. Um, so you said you've had... You built a new shop in 21. You're already expanding yep. on it. It seems already, like we, every... Yeah, we, we opened up 25,000 more feet in this February. And that puts you at about, you said 60? Just under 50. Okay. Um, so every time I see you guys on social media, you're growing. Like, what do you think is the main contributor to that? Is that messaging? Is that, that just people like the parts? Is it it's a great time to be in the sport right now. Is it just everything? Like you said before with kind of serendipity of all coming together. Yeah. If, if I knew like a super, super simple way to put my finger on that and answer it, um, I'd love to know it. But the reality is we've been able to develop a great line of products, a great process for ensuring a super high level of quality and consistency, as well as cultivating a user base of people that we can trust and they can trust us uh, and the, the team we have here. You, you'll probably see at some point Drew walk behind me. Drew manages our mill department. Uh, this new automation system behind me is relatively new, and he wanted to make sure that it was running so you guys can see it behind me throughout the, throughout the podcast. Um, we've gotten lucky with a lot of things, and every time we get lucky, we do our best to work as hard as we can to get as much done with that luck as possible, uh, and then we – we look for that next piece of luck or that next idea or that next blessing or the next opportunity for us to do something that is the best thing for the organization, for the customers, for the brand, for the people here. Uh, I feel oftentimes like I continue to wake up to a lightning in a bottle situation. And uh, we've been fortunate, you know, from, from the top down, John has an unbelievable vision and he's got more confidence and willingness to dive after something that he knows is good and right than anybody I've ever worked with. And the guy's totally fearless in that way. And, you know, certainly there are, Shakespeare talks about in in Hamlet, the best thing about a person also being sometimes their downfall. And there are times that the positive attributes of us can get us in a little trouble, I guess. And maybe they will again at other times, but uh, we're going to keep pushing as hard as we can. And, you know, we're going to keep going. We're trying to build something that is good for not five years, but a hundred years. This is a place that I would love for my kids to come work. I'd love for John's kids to come work. Uh, people in the shop here have, have young families and we love it. And I, I think at the end of the day, we've got enough of a, we've got enough of a shared mission that we're going to keep going as hard as we can. One thing that I don't think a lot of people get that you guys seem to have, and it's hard to fake, is you have a genuine joy when you talk about work. And it almost seems like when you make a product, you want that thing. Uh, so you had talked about like a break, like a need for a break. Have, do you think a lot of the products have just been like, we really want this and we want to make it really well? And that just that resonates with people? like a hundred percent of the products have, have come about that way. And it's 
the zero is a good one to talk about, the reloading stress. I had reloaded a mountain of ammo on like a Redding T7. Uh, and it reloaded a, fair, a good amount, not as much as a T7, but a good amount of ammo on a coax. And obviously, yeah. they're a rock chucker. It's been a lot of time, you know, all these presses. But each of them did a couple things that we really liked. But none of them did everything that we wanted to do. So it was a, if we were to build the perfect press, bottom up, what do we do? Uh, and that's how the Zero was born. And we went through 15 designs that weren't quite right either. Until we finally got the one and we said, this is, this is right. You know, this, this is the one we're ready to go to market with this. And it's obviously been received really well because we build products as users. Uh, we stay active in the market. We are very self-critical, but at the same time, the, the shared mission internally, we don't have a QC department at Area 419 because it's incumbent on all 25 people here to be quality first and product first. And if something's not right, anybody in the building can walk up to anybody else and say, there's a problem with this, and I think it's probably something that you can either fix or you can find, help me find the person that can fix it. Uh, and we've been aggressive with that. And if somebody is on their first day in assembly and doesn't like something, they know they can come ask a question to John or Justin and I, and they're going to get a right. good thoughtful response. Um, they're encouraged to do so. And at the same time, we know that that person speaking up is an opportunity for us to improve product, improve process, improve education. Yeah, absolutely. Something that we feel strongly about. It's that shared mission. And we share a mission not only internally with product, but with our customers in the pursuit of the most rewarding, exciting, low frustration uh, shooting experience possible. That's an awesome way to do things because you get in a roundabout way without saying like buzzword bingo, but you get buy in from everyone where they want to do the best they possibly can because, again, it all, it's all the same thing. Like you, you want it to be the coolest thing you've ever made. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely sounds like a, a tier one shop for, for sure in there. Um, we got a quick live question from William. Um, he says that he loves y'all stuff. He has a couple rifles with hellfire breaks and adapters for the Thank Bravo you, William. Um, do you have any plans to develop a hellfire suppressor mount for the Yankee Hill machine QD adapter? No. Um, one of the things that we've decided not to do with suppressor mounts is make mounts for mounts for mounts, especially in systems where um, not a huge fan of ratcheting mounts, unless you're, you built a system that is, you know, to me, and there's probably one I'm missing. I don't want to upset the suppressor manufacturer, but like the, yeah. the Thunderbeast SR system, it's fabulous. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, the Yankee Hill system and like the AAC 51T, um, some of the, especially past gen systems were really great at the time, but what they've seen with where, like the, the 51, the 51 T, uh, yeah. those teeth start to get a little bit soft. They start to get a little rounded off. Um, you might not be perfectly tight. So in a super hard use setting with a carbine, we're getting a lot of really aggressive teeth cycling. They can still have a great purpose, but for our core market in precision rifle or even somebody in a precision carbine, that's not a system that we want to chain our wagon to given that it would be an adapter for an adapter for an adapter. Right. And we know certainly then, especially in an old ratcheting system, there's likely to be something that we don't like and we can't control. As a follow on, has anyone ever asked you for a secondary retention on your suppressor? Sure. Sure. They have. Okay. Uh, and it's not something that we have seen as a worthwhile complication. Now, okay. 
going back to the one that I think is right now the gold standard for secondary attention in uh, Thunder Beast SR. They okay, had that's exciting. They, they, they had to do it for uh, what was a certain, like, SOCOM torture test or whichever one it is. Yep. You're basically, it's the basically surge test, yeah. Yeah, it's basically impossible to, to, to survive some of those tests without that secondary retention. So that team's right. enormously talented, very, very bright, and they figured it out. And it's somewhat complex, but it needed to be, and it was worth it for them. For us, in our system, adding secondary retention, adding mm -hmm. complexity, um, adding kind of oddity or additional confusion to the system isn't something that we think is worthwhile given our core customer set. Right. And like you mentioned, it's made for competition, kind of precision market hunting, that type of thing where you're not putting that type of account. So, yeah. I had another live from Skylar. Um, is Area 419 hiring or have any job openings? <laughs> I have a degree in CNC machining and gunsmithing. Well, send uh, anything you got, uh, a CV, a resume, a paragraph, a cover letter, a video, whatever you got. Maybe whatever you got. Not everything, guys. Uh, but jobs at area419.com. We're always interested in talented people that have a passion for what we do. Uh, and before the comments blow up with, I wish you would build one in X town so that I could work there. I moved across the country. I moved from Missouri. We've got Zach who moved here from West Virginia. Uh, Nathan came up from Columbus. Uh, we've got people that Drew, who's here, lived in Monroe and drove 45 minutes each way until he finally moved his family a little closer to the shop. Uh, we are not planning on opening a shop in your town, though they do sell homes in the area. So if you're a talented person that wants <laughs> to invest in what you love and doing it for a living, whether it's in Area 419 or anywhere, um, if you think you're good, take a bet on yourself. Let's go. But they do sell homes in the area. That's going to be the quote of the show. Now, so now we were talking the before um, that it's been a long time since we had you had you on. Um, I look back. It was episode 214 was the last time we had you on. So that's been a very long time. Um, so we probably won't cover every product that you've released since forever ago. Um, but let's talk about some of your coolest most recent products that you got going on all right i'm gonna start with our one piece mount and uh if bryce is watching and sees me butcher this camera transition forgive me uh, bryce is number another member of our team sarah nathan the kind of my marketing core here at the shop uh bryce set up this, this set uh i'd love to take any and all credit for things that have happened in our quality of video that, over the last couple of years but the credit is the credit to our social content getting much better over the last year that's sarah Again, the, the team, I I can't speak enough about the people in the shop, including Homer, uh, that, that make it possible. But anyway, one-piece scope mount. Let me go to the top down. <laughs> All right, so what Homer's doing behind me that you just saw is he's working with these. These are, these are billets of aluminum that we can load a whole bunch of them into the carts behind me and turn them into these. This is a one-piece scope mount that has been through, let's see, this is a uh, 30 millimeter tube, high height, so 154 or 32 mil 39 millimeters, depending on if you are using inches or if you're a communist. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what's happening behind me. And those one-piece mounts then turn into a packaged good that is this, um, headed to your mailbox. 
or a, re or a dealer near you. We've, we're fortunate enough to have a few hundred dealers around the world that have been a huge part of our success. But this is the one piece scope mount, it's ready to go. We also have our match scope rings that uh, are you know, obviously very similar to this. It's just two individual rings as opposed to a one piece. Some cool things here. Uh, the way we're manufacturing is really the story. And the way we're making these, so Homer spits out this guy, which is not specifically unique uh, in the way that scope mounts can be made. But we take this part and then obviously we, we break it off from the tabs here. It goes in the machine. We run a second off. We get the, the holes and stuff on the other side. We make caps in separate operations. We send everything out to anodize. It then comes back. We assemble them with little shims in them, spacers, so that you know you got room for your optic to clamp down. We put them back in the machine, and then we final bore everything after anodize uh, and as one unit, so that you know that these surfaces are perfectly round and perfectly square to one another, so that when you're putting them in your optic. You're not flexing your optic uh, around what might be manufacturing tolerance. And as much as we'd like to think that we make parts with zero tolerance that are absolutely perfect, um, that's just not the reality of manufacturing. So, uh, you know, we, we looked at how do we alter this process to make it perfect. Also part of this one piece scope mount, uh, we've got a patent pending, pending dual paper uh, mount system up top here. So they all come with this little single section of Picatinny. But if you remove that, you begin to see the mount for the diving board. Uh, you can see kind of behind me, over my shoulder this way. It's a little dark, but Nathan's rifle back there uh, with uh, Impact 4000 LRF on it. Full product, we can talk about that if you guys want. Um, but the diving board is something that we took very seriously. Uh, we knew that there was kind of an arms race inside the market for who was going to make the most consistent, repeatable, solid one. Uh, and this is our entry. Again, patent pending. You've got two shallow tapers, similar to what you'd see on like a Hellfire system. Okay. They're in series here to help with alignment. When you put the diving board down on it, you'll see an air gap that we've designed uh, to be drawn down so you're getting tool, true dual contact. So you've got contact on those tapers, as well as seating the bottom of the diving board against the top of this, this flat surface here. Uh, and that gives us a lockup that is very repeatable, very rigid. Okay, here we can see a little better. And okay, and is that to maintain? Sorry, is that to maintain um, your consistency when you're zeroing the Impact 400 or whatever rangefinder? You zero it at yeah. 100 and make sure it stays at 100, and it's going to be at that point. You don't have to mess around with moving it around and everything. Yeah, anytime that you start to hang something big and heavy, panel yep. lever forward on something like this, um, you're putting a lot of stress onto a handful of points. So right. in the design, both with you know, the way that we're getting excellent grab on the optic, that's mm -hmm. useful here. Uh, you know, it, that helps this top ring be as stable as possible, uh, as well as we wanted the connection between the top cap and the diving board itself to be as strong as possible. So, you know, okay. the, the dual tapers help with that alignment, obviously, but really it's about strength of the system and repeatability okay. so that when it draws down, there's nowhere for it to go. Gotcha. That's the uh, that's the one piece there. Um, we've also got. Can we also talk about packaging? Sure. So I had I had a friend a long time ago, and his wife uh, mentioned that their company's packaging looked like pizza boxes going out, and that they really <laughs> should upgrade that. Right? It's yeah. nice to see when you get something. Again, that excitement comes through in the packaging. It's just it's nice. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we, we understand that 
while we are selling products that are very much tools, they're, they're meant to serve a purpose. This is also for most of the world, a hobby. Uh, there are some people who this is their absolute livelihood and their lives depend on it. Um, and those guys deserve the very best products we can make. We deliver those. But for so many people, this is something they do for fun. And this is their escape. This is their way to go compete with themselves on a weekend, whatever it may be. And we know that when they buy something from us, and still at this point, something like 70% of our sales are still direct to consumers. So we have a large number of UPS boxes that leave here every single day. Uh, and whether you're buying it directly from us or you're going to a Shields or you're ordering from Brownells or Midway or Optics Planet or anybody like that, um, it's, it's enormously important that you enjoy picking up the product or cutting our tape off of a box or you're drawn to it in a way that shows that we we care about the product that you're receiving. And that's evolved over time. You know, we've got certain products that have gone to like hanging packaging because for our brick and mortar retailers, whether you're again, like a Shields yeah, or you're definitely. Alan Bennett at full circle in, uh, in you know, West County or, or Chesterfield, you, you want the right thing on the shelf and it's got to look good, but it's also got to be useful for you in retail settings. So that's evolved. Um, there's also an investment component to us, to it. That's what I'll call somewhat selfish or self-serving. So the zero comes in custom foam that's pretty over the top. Yeah. The reality is we've shipped more than 5,000 zeros and we've had, to my knowledge, zero be destroyed in transit. And that includes shipping to 40 countries. Right. Uh, so we've, we've spent money on a nice heavy piece of foam. It's custom cut fits really well and it's well thought out and it ships in a bigger box than maybe it needs to but we're shipping things that need to be protected you know we, we want them to show up and be nice it's not it's not bags of bowls i mean these are things that need to be highly functional and are quite precise but are also expected to show up in good shape so uh, packaging has always been important here because the experience from somebody knowing how it's being made or what's behind us uh you know, where we're doing it who the people are that are making their parts that's all important uh, but so is that that actual product experience. Yeah, it, it goes a long way having just good quality packaging because it really shows that you care and then you have happy customers when they order something and it comes and it looks exactly like the picture on the website. Perfect. Not, you know, this ding, that ding. So what other cool things you got down there? All right. Uh, continued with the bag of trips, tricks. The M-series sizing die. So what's, what's different here is the way that we have designed this, and right now it's for use in the Zero Press. We'll very soon have the, uh, the kind of standard shell holder that would allow you to use this with a rock chucker. You can also use it in the new Coax XL that came out. Forrester, being a great company, was, was nice enough to reach out and say, hey, can you send us one of these so that we make sure that our press can work with your guy? That's, that's huge cooperation and very much appreciated by the guys at Forrester. Yeah. Um, this is a die that has headspace adjustability through a micrometer uh, and is also a full-length solid surface sizing die. Uh, when we got into wanting to do this, because sometimes the most difficult part of setting up and reloading for a especially new reloader is setting headspace. Uh, we also know that more experienced reloaders want to be able to control that headspace really, really tightly and it be ultra consistent. Uh, we think that what we have here solves both of those problems. Uh, we we basically set it up to where up in the head, you've got a micrometer that holds a solid stop, which then controls how far the sleeve here, which is actually your caliber specific part, 
how far it can go up into the body relative to this kind of bottom rim here. Uh, so your uh, shoulder is going to come up and contact this outer rim. And right. then your, your internal sizing sleeve will actually recess up a little bit into that body. So even if you have it all the way out, you're only mm -hmm. going to size your brass to something like sand or dough minus six ish, depending on that yeah. product. So you can never disgustingly oversize your brass, uh, but you can also adjust the die to where it allows, kind of back it out here, show you uh, where this the black internal sleeve can get, get, get in down further than this. So you can make it a, a longer headspace if you want to. So that's the trick to this system. Some other cool features. Uh, the mandrel in here is, the mandrel in here is precision ground. We have them available in various sizes for neck tension control. Uh, we think that the neck diameter should ultimately be determined by how you size it from the inside on the way out. Um, because yep. the whole reason to set neck tension is to hold the projectile and the inside of your neck, the inside of your brass hold the projectile, not the outside. So uh, you know, right. we wanted to size there. Uh, the decapping pin is removable, easily replaced. We've got wrench flats on everything because we've all sat there with a pliers or a channel lock <laughs> and tried to, and tried to yep. pop the little the little nut loose in, in decapping. Yep. So there, there are lots of those things built in the M-Series die. The response has been very good. The number of calibers that we offer for cartridges has continued to grow. Uh, and we're cutting those with reamers. This is not a boring operation. Uh, that allows us to hold a more precise dimension over more and more uh, over more and more and dies. And we think it's very important that every die be right, not just some of them, not just cherry-picked ones. Uh, and it's the expensive and kind of slow and more difficult way for us to do it, but it's yielding a product that is not only better on a part-to-part -part basis, but it's going to allow us to be consistent over hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of guys in a, in a cartridge. That's really cool that it's modular. So this is kind of the weird use case that's applicable to maybe PRS. Let's say a guy goes with one brand of Dasher Brass and then he switches to another brand. This die is capable of being, you, same die, you just adjust it to the new type of brass. Um, let's say you have a different chamber cut because you had a different chamber for that gun. You just adjust the die and you're set. Like you don't you don't have to go and get a new custom die or anything like that. In general, the answer to that question is have your chambers cut by somebody that is using an appropriate creamer for your cartridge. Right. Um, one of the biggest problems in any look is this. This is a six five Creedmoor. Uh, Dasher is kind of a pain for the reloading world and the way that our dies really right. happen. Uh, as we were testing the zero, we realized that a lot of our testing was just testing dies. So I began to really geek <laughs> out and leaned on some yeah. guys in, uh, in shooting and reloading like Jim Gordon and Lou Merdeka who have forgotten more about reloading than I'll ever, ever learn. Uh, okay. And we, I got into the nuance with them of what does die design look like? What should it look like? How should it work? Uh, we then got to talking with some of our really good friends in the industry at Alpha, Bob and Tom and Andrew and, and that team. Yep. And they said that their number one problem as a brass manufacturer is that chambers are very inconsistent. So yeah. make what make, get whatever brass you'd like, have it be wonderful brass, the best brass you can buy on the market. But if your chambers are all over the board and then they in the series don't match the dyes that are being used. Right. Who cares? Your brass, your brass is 
is out of luck before it even gets started. You don't have an opportunity to make a really consistent, easy to use, fun to use product. You know, that's a right. difficulty there. So we said, all right, you guys are getting into making chamber dies because you wanted rifles to be chambered appropriately and consistently, and you wanted easy to access, properly spec dies or uh, chambers. You want to make us some dive. Well, let's figure out how we want to size it because there's nobody that knows how to size brass as consistently and as on scale as a brass manufacturer. And whether that's right. Alpha or Lapua or Peterson or whoever, those guys yeah, make size make. brass for a living. That's all they do. Yeah. Uh, so we said, you know what the chamber looks like to get the brass to be exactly what you want it to be. And we are willing to make the expenditure in both time and cash and all of those things to buy reamers to cut these dies that we can be very, very sure exactly the right size. We made pretty substantial investments into tool inspection with a, uh, a great Speroni presetter that we can drop tools into. We can pull them on and off the system to Capto, which is like a quick release uh, tool holding system. We can measure them. We can measure the dies in the CMM. We can hold those numbers. So we know that we're producing a die that works with good brass, that works with good chambers. Gunsmiths can go buy their legacy chamber reamers. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're accessible. Uh, reamers are not terribly accessible if, you, if you're looking at buying them. If you want to order one from Manson or PTG or JGS, oftentimes your lead times can be too long. Alpha's worked really hard and invested heavily in them being easily available. So yeah. all of the parts lining up from your rifle to your die to your brass to your uh, to all of those parts in the process, if they could just be meant to work together, it takes a lot of the trick of reloading and makes it go away. Uh, and that was some of the re- that was a lot of the reason the dies happened and how they happened and how the backstory there. That's super cool. Um, it's it's good to have the full explanation. So. I feel like sometimes on the internet you get kind of like the forum effect where like you, you get part of the story, but it's not the full kind of detail thing. So it's really nice to hear the full detailed explanation of why it's so important to have all the quality components step by step, because at the end of the day, like you said, it makes it easier. And a lot of this, it takes a lot of time. If I take less time in the garage reloading, great. Most people on the internet, um, I should say most people. A hundred percent of people on the internet are experts in the field, regardless of what the topic is. Everyone on the internet knows everything there is to know about it. Uh, and the first we've taken in product development is anytime we move into a product, I, I take the posture of I know nothing about it. Um, so I try to find everything that's wrong with every product I have. We've got good friends that are good dudes that cannot make anything work. Uh, I could give them a uh, like a, a sand a, a sand timer, and they'd find a way to break it. Uh, those are some of the best friends to have because I can send I feel them any product. Yeah, well, we got, you're grandmaster in a lot of things, uh, and it may just be breaking things as well. Yeah. But I've got good friends that I can send any product, and if they have that thing for two months and have not found some way to destroy it or break something else with it, I think we're on to something. Um, so <laughs> taking the posture of we don't know anything, listening to all the experts on the Internet, and distilling, you know, all of that into something actionable is is enormously important to us. And, and that's kind of what happened with the die is you go on, pick your internet forum, sniper side, 6MMVR, Facebook groups. And um, when the internet ex- experts decide they know better, typically you can run down that rabbit hole. And whether they actually know better or not, uh, it can lead you down interesting routes of, uh, of investigation 
and can lead to cool opportunities and, and cool things to find. So over the lives, uh, William said that your description of your friends was Corey to a T. <laughs> Okay. I'm not William gonna name, I'm not gonna name right many more left. names than that, but we all have that friend. Every one of us has that friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um then Eric asked, he said on some Area 419 videos they showed the M series die seating bullets. Will this be a new feature? Um somewhat. So there are certain parts of this that can also be turned into a seating die. Uh basically it's you'll see some extra stuff up here. The internals uh, are, are a little bit different, but the reality is we like to focus on the products where we think we can make the most difference in what's on the market. Um, seating dies in general, there are some pretty good ones. Uh, some that we feel really comfortable with, some that do a really good job, whether it's a, a Redding product and, and they've been kind of a standard in their, in their seaters for a long time. You've got the new stuff from the Cruise Short Action Customs. I mean, there, there are good dies on the market for seeding specifically. We think that's something where the difference we can make is not as big as we can make in the sizing market. So we're going to make our M-series dies, which we are now. And you're also going to kind of a, a product that doesn't exist yet, what we'll talk about, is the S-series die, where we take a lot of the same manufacturing elements and move it into a more simplified 7 8 inch die. Now, you'll lose the micrometer adjustability of your headspace. Um, because we, we simply don't have enough footprint this way in a 7-8 right. side to make that work and retain the strength that we kind of want in the system. But we, we're, we're still going to reamer cut them. We're still going to use ground mandrels on the inside. We're going to introduce a top tier 7-8 die and do it at a price and do it. At a, and we won't be the most expensive 7-8 die on the market uh, because we think that what we figured out is a way to make something really great and really useful uh, that can be the right product for more people. The M-Series die maybe isn't the right product for everybody, uh, and we know that, but we still think that we can deliver a improvement in consistency and quality to the market with the 7 8 die in the S-Series uh, that's very nice. So that is likely to see a lot of effort before we get heavy into the seating dies. Now, things happen, maybe that plan changes, uh, but right now we think sizing is where we can make a lot of difference in the market. I'm going to be refreshing your website for that 308 sizing die. It's like, uh, they're on, it's here I'm by. Almost, I'm almost certain they're in stock online. No, the the other one. the So the one you said that could fit in standard sizing. Yep. Yeah, the 378 so series. Yep. Brass prep on the Dylan. I'm going to say Thanksgiving, Black Friday, it'll be up. No. Uh, <laughs> no. That, that, that is certainly a 2024 product. <laughs> The only thing that you will see new from us, to segue here, okay, I say the only thing. The big thing that you will see new from us between now and Black Friday, and you may see this as little as like two weeks, is a uh, our QD Arcalot clamp. This is something that we were we felt we were much closer to earlier in the year. We made a bunch of them. We torture tested them. We found those friends that break everything. Um, we sent them to them. Then we got further down the process made sure all of our coatings were right, things like that. Again, they weren't. So we've had a, a wonderful amount of, amount of luck and uh, and good fortune in getting products to go from zero to ready to go really quickly. Um, but this one took a little more time. That said, this one is it's ready to go with the correct you know coatings on everything, the correct parts on everything. Uh, this guy is, is ready. And I think sometime in the next two weeks, you'll see these online and ready to go. 
Uh, and we'll also have our, we've got our one-piece scope mount that we've got more and more SKUs coming into stock on. You'll also see our hunting rings. Um, you know, we've got the match rings, the tactical one-piece mount, as well as the, the hunt rings coming. Uh, those will share a lot of similarities with, they'll share a lot of things in the manufacturing process with the match and the tactical products. Uh, we're just going to put it on the diet. So we'll, we'll slim them down a little bit while retaining as much rigidity and robustness as possible on the mount. Uh, and I, I think that that'll be a good product right about the end of the year. I don't, it, it, I don't see it being before Christmas, uh, but it's not going to be terribly far past that, I don't think. So I guess something I should have asked you before we went live on air is how, how many products, how many shooting products besides for that other thing are down there? Do we have any more left? Um, oh, yep, got one more. One more. Uh, <laughs> I've got, and we'll go through again. This is our Headspace and Ojai gauge kit. Uh, the, the way these work, I mean, this is a, a fairly standard body that, and, and we're, we're threading in here and uh, bottom anvil to be able to like measure measure headspace uh, as well as bullet overall seating length. The difference is here again we're reamer cutting these because we want product number one and product number ten thousand to be exactly the same, so that we can uh, we can ultimately publish. Here's what your headspace should be using our kit. You know, zero your calipers, you put everything together the right way, and you should get this number when you are sizing grass. That's not something that you can generally use with comparator products on the market because while many of them have served a great purpose, they are typically comparator products if for no other reason than they are made in a way that with these small things that we are measuring are, are very difficult to make uber consistent. Uh, we, we then get into our bullet overall or like cartridge overall length or bullet ogive measurement gauges. These are actually cut with a reamer that is a one and a half degree lead angle, which is what's happening inside your rifle's chamber. So that when you are measuring that projectile, it's not simply some datum point or some line. It is what's actually happening inside your chamber. Uh, I think that's the right way to do it. We've all been in a situation where we go from, let's say 108 ELDs to 110 A-tips and you can seat them with the same seating die set up the same way and your comparator measurements are wildly different. Uh, yeah. We didn't like that. So we, we wanted to solve that with internal geometry on the, uh, on the OJIVE gauges. We've also got this cool little height stand that goes with the product. So, you know, if you've got this on your, do I have the right, do you have the right Allen key for this? If you've got this product on your calipers and it's in use, you can basically click it in here and it is, it's magnetic, it helps the product. It leaves you a, a free hand to operate here. Or we even had some people give us the, the insight and it's super smart that they were doing it. You can flip it, put your, uh, your larger body portion up here and then use gravity more to your advantage and letting that product move up and down. So that Headspace and Ojive gauge, gauge system is one that sold out when we introduced them really, really quickly. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have more pretty soon. That is wild. I, I love the thought put into that. Um, so we're through, we're through all the shooting products, but there's also another industry you guys have kind of dove into a, a little bit more. Um, 
got some sort of a golfing type tool around you too, don't you? <laughs> uh, so just like every firearm product in the building, every rifle product, every reloading product was born of, we like doing this. We can't find exactly the right thing we want. Uh, probably two years ago, because I mean, I, I've not shot as many matches recently and the other prop I brought was, was the children. Um, my kids are 10 and eight and I'm spending a lot of weekends on soccer sidelines and football sidelines. Uh, John's kids are, are, are getting a little bit older. They're real humans. We're not spending as much time on the road driving to from Ohio to Tennessee or uh, going to Salt Lake City or you know, wherever we want to go. Uh, we spent a little more time at home. So we started playing a little more golf and seemingly we've had a, uh, oh, Drew's bringing me parts here. He's got more props so I can show a broken down one. Uh, we made, we were buying new clubs and through a lot of the process, we could be nerds and pick out how do we want the club to work and a shaft and drivers are very modular and fittable uh, putters, not so much. So we thought we could take a lot of the same concepts of modularity from uh, from firearm and AR-15. You want to build an AR to your liking? Yeah. Pick whatever parts you want. Same, whatever trigger you want, whatever handguard you want, buttstock you want, all, all the features. Um, and, and our putter design, and we're going to relaunch these late this year, hopefully around Christmas time. So if uh, if you need another long, skinny box into your Christmas tree that's not a firearm, <laughs> uh, this, is, this will be a good option for you. Uh, we've got several interchangeable fillable parts here, from the hosel to the face, the heel and toe weights, the tail, uh, and it all attaches to, here's what Drew brought over to me, uh, a, a centralized kind of chassis product that that everything joins onto. So through a fitting process that you can either do yourself with some instructional video or, uh, you know, kind of a, a fitting guide that we'll have with a toolkit that can go out with these if, if you want to purchase one. Uh, you, can, you can dial it in the best you can. But just like with a rifle, we can sell you a wonderfully nice rifle, but if you don't know how to drive it, you're still going to miss targets. Same, same thing. Oh, whoa. <laughs> same thing works with putters. Just because we can sell you the finest putter that, that you can buy, it can be made anywhere on earth. You still got to drive it. So, uh, I feel like there's a lot directed hard. right at me. No, like, that, that one was Break stuff. <laughs> you are all of us, Corey. <laughs> so. We are always talking on the show about how to grow the sport, how to grow the industry. Um, are there any particular competitions that you think are capable of shifting the gun industry? Whether it's a style match or a match in particular, you think there's a match that can help drive? I think today uh, it is, it's 22. It's Rimfire. Uh, the, the, glory of rimfire is you can do a really good match on a 200 yard range and yeah. that brings long range style shooting and I'm, I'm certain there are other options with action sports and uh you know the grandmaster knows those answers but uh as far as rifles go and, and shooting long range i think that precision 22 does a lot uh i think the ideal precision 22 match it's it's lower pressure it's cheaper to get into it's less formal uh, you can have them in many more locations because the difficult part of a range that goes out to a thousand or twelve hundred or a mile is those are basically the opposite. You find those in places that are opposite of where you find people, uh, yeah. and population centers and mile ranges don't go well together. 
but 200 yard ranges are a lot of places, even hundred yard ranges. You can, you can put on a previous match. And I know that the air rifle communities come along uh, and, and kind of begun to be involved. And there's a, there's a division in, uh, in PRS Rimfire and NRL 22 and, and the different kind of people running matches. I think that's a huge thing for the sport. It gets more people in. There are going to be some people that go from a rimfire shooter to want to shoot PRS or want to get into a different action sport or whatever it may be. Uh, and there are other people that decide they really like shooting 22 and that's what they want to shoot and they become really, really good at it. So um, I know 22 is not new and it's not something in the future match, um, but I think it's really cool. We also sponsored this year uh, a match with Sniper's Unknown Challenge. And this is a more, it's, it's a match where you shoot, but it's also a match where you must think. Uh, they are team matches and team matches are great for learning how to add another element of communication and observation and teamwork into a match. Uh, I think that provides some difficulty though in the match that if it's a solo person match and you want to go shoot any match anywhere in the country, pack your bags, buy a plane ticket, do whatever you want, you can go shoot it. Uh, team matches require a little more coordination out of that individual. Maybe people feel like there's a little more barrier to getting into them because you have to find a partner that you can get along with. So there are certainly some things that will keep that from being some massive style match that takes over everything. Uh, but I think they're really cool. The hunter matches out there are cool, and I think bring in another element of practical application of precision rifle. Uh, I think there are some similar scaling limitations on some of those matches. Uh, typically, the way they're set up, you can't have quite as many people. Uh, the, the places yeah. where you can do them are a little more limited. So as far as matches, you do a ton of people, PRS and, and the, the scaled Rimfire version of them are quite good. But it's, a, it's an exciting time to be a competitive shooter. And I think that PRS and Shannon and Ken have done a good job of being a stable, centralized body. Corey, before the show, you brought up Three Gun Nation. Three Gun Nation worked really well for like nine months until it ran out of other people's money. It's kind of the impression <laughs> that I got from it. Somebody can correct me. Uh, shooting sports typically are not a great way for a centralized governing body, be it PRS or Three Gun Nation or whatever, to become cash machines. Uh, USPSA yeah. and IDPA, for all of the things that people may not like about them, whatever, them being either nonprofit or unprofitable groups has been good for them. It allows them to be pure competition for the sake of competition. I cut my teeth in Missouri with the uh, most series, so shout out to yeah. uh, Buzz and the, that entire crew and uh, Ryan Hunt and Sean H and Haggerty, all of those guys did a fabulous job of you show up to a match and the winner got a Twinkie and last place got a Twinkie and everybody enjoyed it and we bought cookies for <laughs> Justin Bramber's daughter. Uh, and, it, and it was fun. And it was unimposing and it was simple and I was there to compete against me and miss as few targets as possible and look like as uh, and look like I knew what I was doing when I when I grabbed a rifle. You know, I, I wanted to be good at the gun. It wasn't about the prize table. It wasn't about uh, the, the Facebook post or anything like that. I It was just a lot of fun. I as a kid, I grew up shooting, I grew up enjoying it, uh, and I could do that there. And that's that's one of the I fell so in love with well, all of this. So yeah, what that's, else? that's another Go ahead. That's another thing that a lot of the matches that are doing really well have is that family aspect where you see like John Kyle coming with the kid and family. You know, Amy Lynn's at the same match, she's doing her thing. That the matches with the 22 in particular really have that family like feel and aspect to them where dad's coming out with not just you know his son but the daughter, the mom's coming out. It, 
I, I think that's something that, especially in PRS and 22s across different sports, that's definitely there. So what all competitions do you shoot, Jay? What are you shooting now? I know you've done a variety of things. What all are you shooting currently? I am shooting a camera with a lens on it in my kids' ball games right now. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying them being kids. And uh, in 2020, I shot like 14 two-day matches, and a ton of them. And I'm dragging a trailer all over the country. And they're very long weekends, and they were wonderful. Uh, and then when the world kind of came back online in 2021, 2022, I looked down and had an eight and a six-year-old or a nine and a seven-year-old. And I was either going to see them grow up or I was going to be on the firing line. So I haven't shot as much in the last probably year and a half. Um, but there will come a time that they grow up and decide that they want to, you know, they're, they're going to go live their lives and, and I'll see you guys shoot again. And I'll, I'll see everybody between there now and then. But internally in the shop, we've got people that are shooting standard PRS matches. Uh, Nathan shot a USPSA match or two. Corey, you got to get him to like a real one and drag his ass a little bit. Um, hey, this weekend, Ohio. Tell him to come down. We'll shoot nationals together. He's at Major Lands. Uh, he and Zach leave Friday early morning to go to Major Lands okay. Sniper Comp. To, <laughs> and this is the, the team sniper style comps where, you know, like the Adam Burt? 4,000 back there. What? Is that with Adam Burt? Is that the one he's doing? Um, I don't know who. No? Okay. I thought Brian. I thought Brian was. I don't know. It. Uh, yeah. I don't believe this is Adam's match, but I could be, okay. I could definitely be wrong. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. So there's been kind of two new products that have kind of hit the interwebs within the last week or so, and you somehow managed to get your hands on both of them before we even <laughs> knew they existed. Um, you you knew they existed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're doing digs this week. <laughs> I didn't get my safety pin if you guys don't stop being mean to me. <laughs> so we'll start with the cool thing we see back behind you right there, kind of peeking out of the dark, kind of overpowered by the awesome robot. Um, the new uh, Vortex Impact 4000. Yeah, let me get this rifle down. It's like 70 pounds. <laughs> As all PRS rifles should be. So Impact 4000, uh, this is new weapons-mounted LRF system from Vortex. They say streets like two grand. If you look around, you can probably find one for like 1850 or so. Like I think that's what dealers are some moving them at roughly right now. Um, it's a sweet unit. Uh, weapons-mounted LRFs are not a new thing. Nathan, before he had this thing, had a Raptor. Uh, really great, expensive, uh, and most of them were developed a decade ago or more. Uh, Vortex comes out with this. It's a it's a pretty manageable price point product. Uh, it's two grand compared to 10. And it's got a good UI. They knew that a more manageable price point product needed to happen. Uh, the yeah. technology was ready for it. Like the, the Silencer Code Radius, cool product, kind of ahead of its time. Uh, people weren't as ready for it then, I don't think. And what they've been able to do at Vortex is, is impressive. Uh, so that's the Impact 4000. We had one for a few months. Uh, Nathan had this on his rifle at the um, Corey's. Corey waits in the comments. He'll know here. Um, gathering the snipers. 
uh, at Pig a couple weeks ago. Nick Wassenberg had his there. Um, they're really cool. They do what they're supposed to. They they do it well. It's not massively. It's not some massively overpriced product. So the board, in fact, uh, four thousand from Vortex is is a pretty cool deal. And so, if people are interested in learning a whole lot more about this product, you have a full, pretty much a full length feature video over on the Area Four One Nine Facebook page talking about it. Um, yeah, uh, we put we put that up on launch day. And again, we we're really fortunate with some of the relationships we have in the industry that when cool new things are coming, if it's somebody that we've got a relationship with, they'll say, hey, got this cool new thing, whether they're calling me or they're calling Nathan or they're calling John or whoever, uh, and say, let us, we'll send you one, tell us what you think. And, and if, you, if you like it, you know, we'll figure something out. Um, we like doing videos. It's good for our content stream. We want our customers to see the new cool thing. Um, selfishly, the Impact 4000 is a wonderful product to go on our tactical tilt mount with diving board. Uh, and we're going to do a diving board that's a little bit lower to get the the LRF a little bit down closer to the uh, closer to the system. This tall one's really good for a raptor, which wraps a little bit around the uh, uh, the rail. But um, we like this product being market in market because it creates more need for an uh, exceptionally well built diving board system. <laughs> I love it. The honesty. <laughs> yeah, it it works out good. While we're here doing it because we love it, same time it's a business. So, uh, yeah, let's sell some product. Works out. Including if any, if any, if anybody likes the, uh, if anybody likes the sweatshirt, I saw Nathan in the comments on the uh, on the live feed. Nathan dropped the the link to the sweatshirt. Great crew neck. If you're looking for something for fall to impress your shooting buddies, your wife, I don't know. It's a great shirt. Pick one up. It is. It is a pretty nice shirt. <laughs> And then there's another thing that we we kind of saw earlier when we were looking at your Arca clamp. What what was that? I got cool? the uh, yeah. I was allowed by by Garmin to get this out a little bit. We got this little sucker uh, like right after Fourth of July. I went back and looked at my text today, July sixth. So we've had it for a few months. I'm I'm not going to tell you much more than it comes out on the 19th of October, and price point on them is going to be five ninety nine. But we got this thing in July, loved it. Uh, almost immediately went to went to glass, and then obviously Brad Lyons, our regional sales rep, and said, "Hey, we love it. We want to be a Garmin dealer. I want to get a, a bunch of these in for launch. And while we're at it, we built a uh, an attachment arm that will also be available at launch. And again, every all these black anodized parts are sometimes hard to see. Uh, this is a an arm that allows you to mount the Zero C1." onto your rifle and uh like francis cologne had his at the cap grind was shooting it on his gun in several stages uh, we've almost exclusively used it on the rifle nathan you actually used one of these with a uh picatinny adapter here on his diving board on his rifle oriented this way uh at the f-class national matches at perry uh, and they allowed it which was super cool uh, but we you can shoot with this on the rifle it uses our Arcalot clamps, or if you want somebody else's clamp, whatever, um, they'll attach onto these. At launch of the Garmin product, we will have a bunch of these units, as well as arms. We will have these. Uh, Chad at 5x5 Precision, Chad Heckler will have some. George at GA Precision will have some, because he, he's doing some Garmin units as well. Um, they'll be they'll be ready to go with the units. Uh, the arm here, we're going to retail that at 60 bucks, And then if you need a clamp, that, that would obviously be additional. Uh, but we will have on drop day packages ready to go, ready to ship 
it is everything you are seeing here uh, and will probably be something like uh, maybe 7 or 750 with a knob clamp, something closer to maybe 8 with the, uh, with the exception clamp. And those numbers are high. I'm just kind of couching until we've made final decisions on all that price. So easy numbers. Uh, for those of us following along, just putting reminders on when to buy things, uh, that's the 19th of October. I should look at your site again. Yes. I, I just like, Impact, like, just like Impact 4000 Day was a big day, I think the, yeah. the Garmin Zero C1 Day will be unavoidably uh, all <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah, I've, I've spoke with a, a few people that have played with them over the last couple of days, and uh, I want one very badly and they're all telling me that like you if you if you want it you're, you're gonna have to move so the, the really nice thing about garmin entering the market here is uh garmin's a big boy company they're global uh yeah. and garmin's been making radars in the aviation and marine markets for a very long time and they also have like a, a they have golf radar products where they have like a little simulator that tracks ball flight bringing radar into products for garmin is not new Garmin also has an enormous amount of manufacturing capacity, though this is not a product that I think will be unobtainium, at least not for very long. Uh, they shared with me today numbers of how many are in the first batch and then the second batch, which is already on, like already moving, it's already on the way. Um, that first day, they may sell out, but then there are going to be more of them uh, 10 days, two weeks, whatever later, and then there will be more of them, more of them. And when a company like Garmin decides they're going to make something and they're going to fill the pipeline, it's going to happen. They're it's they're they're a real company. They're big boys. Uh, they're a multinational, uh, very very big organization. So I would expect if somebody really wants one, you can probably have one of the under the Christmas tree. If somebody really really wanted one, could you like write their name like it just spell it out C O R Y and just set it aside and just know that I'm. <laughs> I've got a small mesh bin under my desk that I'll file that in. <laughs> so I know you can't give uh, a whole lot of details about it. We, we don't want to get in trouble. Um, and more details on this will be coming to the shooter's mindset here pretty soon. Um, but like, what's your initial impression of the Garmin Chrono? Like without it does going everything, it does everything that you want it to, you know, it, kind of your checkbox for a chronograph. Is it, does it catch every shot? Does it give you a good reading? Is it simple to use? Is the UI good? Um, can I use it on everything that I shoot? It does all of those things, and it does and it does them well. Battery life's really good on it. Um, I I don't have a nitpick, and, and as a guy who nitpicks products kind of for a living, <laughs> they've, yeah. they've done one. And there have even been things in the process, like the uh, UI. We didn't like it the first day we got it. Uh, there were things that weren't as intuitive or straightforward as they should have been. Some of the screens weren't set up quite the way we liked it. Uh, and I don't think we were alone in that. I know several other people that, that have these and have had them for a little bit. But uh, they updated it. And that says a lot for an organization to be willing to, be capable to, be able to push out updates to us to where we've got a product that went from being pretty close to Let's Party in three months uh, of, of software management. Garmin's also a company that if you've owned their products for any period of time, they push out software updates and they consistently make products better. So I, yeah. I think these will be a really good thing for that kind of high-level chronograph user. That is awesome. So we really look forward to seeing those real soon. 
Um, we're a little bit past the midpoint of the show, but remember if you're watching us live on Facebook, ask any questions you may have us in the comment section of the video, we'll ask it live on air. Other ways to catch us, you can always check back to the Shooter's Mindset Facebook page. The videos stay up there forever, and we usually upload to all the podcast apps the night after the show. Then finally, everything eventually ends up on the Shooter's Mindset YouTube page, um, so that's a great place to look up past episodes, especially ones like this where we have all sorts of awesome props. It's a lot better on YouTube than the podcasts. Um, if you're gearing up for hunting season, you're going to want to listen closely. We've got an offer to tell you about that could score you up to $750 in gear. This amazing promotion is brought to you by our friends at Christensen Arms. If you don't know Christensen, they created the first carbon fiber barrel back in 1995, and they've been making world-class rifles ever since. Now through October 31st, when you buy any eligible Christensen Arms rifle, you can send their team a simple form with your original receipt. Once they verify your purchase, they'll email you an electronic gift card good for up to $750 on their online store, which is stocked with premium accessories from Christensen, as well as other amazing brands like Leopold, Mystery Rants, Half-Face Blades, Uncharted Supply Company, and more. Go to ChristensenArms.com to learn more and take advantage of this offer. All right. So I need to know, what is the one product that you're most proud of like if you could hang your hat on one thing at the end of all this like this this company is a billion dollar company what's the one thing that you're most proud that you released so far um that's a tough one probably i know the press. today today the press? Probably the okay press, uh because the press was such a leap into the unknown it was manufacturing a 1200 at the time press it was expensive mm -hmm. for us to manufacture. People think you sell a press for $1,200 and we put 1200 bucks in our pocket. That's wildly <laughs> wrong. That's wrong in so many ways. These that's how all the retail is, right? <laughs> right. Everything's free, right? That, 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 these? Free. Free. Nobody's paying for those. Popo um, works for free. He doesn't even have power. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, there's a bunch of hamsters in the bottom on wheels. But that was a product that was a big leap. For us we spend more to make a zero than like any other press on the market cost to buy at retail so it was a major okay. investment for us it was a product that when we did the live stream in like early lockdown everybody said you're an idiot nobody's gonna buy these and like i said we shipped i remember 5, the live stream yeah yeah and it, it wasn't even real product that it was renders we like we had some like test products but it was not <laughs> It was not ready. Like we, we were not ready to ship out. And I think the first batch was like 250 of them or something, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. The product wasn't ready then, but we, we really believed in what was happening. Uh, the team was smaller. The, our, our resources were obviously much less, but we felt really good about this is a product that we, we're willing to gamble on and make a bet on ourselves. If that thing flops, it's really bad for Area 419. I, I don't know where Area 419 is if that, if that flops. But it, it worked. And one of the most humbling parts of that is still to this day when I go back and look at who we have sold presses to, half or a little better of the people buying zeros, that's the first thing they buy from us. So it's not as though somebody had a Hellfire oh, and yeah. a Funnel Kit and, and a, a, an Arca Rail and all these products, and then they decide to come buy a press from us. It's people saying... I think those guys are doing it right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend the money. I'm gonna I can yeah. buy another press. It's a, a fine product, you know. Maybe doesn't do everything I like or not as well, but a fine product for a fraction of the cost. But I'm gonna support those guys because I like the way they're doing it. Uh, that's enormously humbling for us. 
Yeah, and you guys, so I was going to guess this, but you guys did a really special run of that press. It's kind of a one-time thing. I think it was 25 units. Yep. Um, but doing, I guess, and guys can figure out kind of what we're talking about, but doing small things like that, it, it's so much bigger. And kind of what you're saying about kind of believing in yourself and just doing something because you know, like, this is the right way to do it. It seems to be like a common theme on like parts and just making things. So I think that's super cool that that's how you think about the press is like, we really, like you said, the live stream, the live stream is the internet, right? It can be super cool or it can be, you know, like terrifying when you don't really have a finished product and everyone's saying that's too expensive, but right. selling out that first batch, I can see why, you know, that's kind of like something to hang a hat on. Yeah, it's, it's great for us. And another thing we like doing, and I'm going to, like, I'm, I'm reading through comments here, and Nathan mentioned Echo Machine. <laughs> That's a guy that he owes us nothing. We owe him nothing, but we think he's doing really cool things. So, uh, back, that's, this is like Yankee Hill and 51T Mount. Echo Machine, he's a guy, Nick Bosco. Uh, he takes those old cans, and he will cut them off at the back and replace that rear end with, like, a hub mount where you can run yeah. uh, any, like, Silent Control Mega Mount. I, I, I really like what he's doing, and, and I've been fortunate to have interactions with guys like Nick or like a Wayne Patrick at Mighty Armory that does a little decapping spring-loaded dies. We buy a ton of them. Uh, Dustin Coleman at Colt Hacker, uh, Tom at uh, Tom Armageddon Gear, or um, the Trigger Tech guys, all the way to guys that we don't sell their product and they don't sell ours, but like Tate at Impact or John Kyle and Amy Lynn at, at, at Foundation people in the industry that we've had the fortune to get to know and work with and share our lives with a little bit. Uh, Dan McNamee at Two Vets is a, is a great example of this for me. Um, the, I think more than any product, the relationships that we've been able to build professionally and personally and the way that we have been able to build relationships with our customers and that they could trust us the way that they do, uh, that's so much more important. The team here is so much more important than any individual product, but it's because of those things that the products, I think, can really transcend a hunk of aluminum, right? Yeah. I agree. So, a lot of people are going to reach out to try and get people to support their brand. So, two kind of questions. Do y'all support masses? And when you do, what do you expect to see out of it? What do you want your return on investment to be? Um, we never go into match support looking for ROI because it is impossible to pin down. It's impossible to put a finger on. Uh, and at the same time, if I'm buying a magazine ad, it's an ROI decision. Uh, if we're buying right. a machine, it's an ROI decision. If we're hiring somebody, it's, you know, there, there's an ROI component to it. When we're supporting matches, we treat it as though we are throwing money into a trash can and burning it and feeling good about it because we know that at the end of the day, no matches, no 419. So no individual match for us is an ROI decision. And okay. in reality, we could probably stop supporting matches and be okay, but that's irresponsible for us as stewards of shooting sports. Um, so we never support a match for the ROI. And there might be a match where there's a tremendous amount of ROI, but we don't think it's being run for the right reasons or we think that it's doing something that's detrimental for the sport and we're not going to support it. 
So we will throw money into a fire to support the right things happening with the right people in the right places and walk away from opportunities to that, that may be short-term ROI generators. Because again, we, yeah. we, wanted, we want Area 419 to be something that's in operation for 100 years. I want my kids to work here. I want everybody here to know that there's an opportunity to retire here. Uh, and that means making decisions about what we support based on 50 years from now not what's a flash in the pan that can be exciting as is. I love the idea of kind of family companies like that, that think not I've been here for 45 quarters. I've been here for 45 years. Yep. Um, That's a great way to look at, you know, supporting matches is just like, it's what we like to do. You know, we want to make it happen and, we appreciate that. I was getting in here looking around and realized the amount of Area 419 products I've pulled off of prize tables over the years. You can kind of see up in the corner there, barely. There's a there's a rail on a on a chassis that I pulled off of a prize table, and there's another one in the safe. And so, thank you for that. Yeah, and we love giving things to to matches that are not. We can give away presses and Mavericks and all those things, and and they can go to a, somebody who's finishing really high up the list. But that same expenditure, knowing what we have in a press or in a Maverick, I can get the same amount of product and reach many more people if it's a muzzle brake or an ARCA rail or even a even a reloading die or something that's in that hundred to two hundred fifty dollar price point. I'd rather give away, you know, I'd instead of sending a thirteen hundred dollar press, I'll send thirteen hundred dollars of hundred to two hundred fifty dollar products that are going to go to that mid pack shooter who's really trying to put together a rifle system. And that product, not that I, not that I hate things being resold by by guys that win things on a prize table, but I want it to go to somebody who's more likely to use it mm-hmm. and get enjoyment out of our contribution, as opposed to selling a hundred dollar project product for eighty bucks on the hide, and and going on with their day. And I'm not, I'm not begrudging that or hating that, um, but I love to see our products be used and not just be forum fodder. No, I one hundred percent as a match director. I wish more came that way because it's just more people that walk away with something that they can build, right? So if they're doing a scope mount for a CZ or if they're doing a die or whatever it is, it's something that they can have a little bit of ownership of and see how it works and, and just it's it's better for them to come back. I, I don't think as much as I love seeing, you know, the, the giant support. I don't think the scope, like the huge scope does that, right? Um, Along with that, where do you see kind of precision competition in five years? Like, do you see it fundamentally changing? Um, Five years is an enormously long time. So if you think what we're shooting sports five years ago, specifically related to precision rifle, um, who owned PRS five five years ago? Was it Brian Dennis? (laughs) Like... What was happening five years ago? Or was it still a conglomerate? And it was like the board with Shannon and George and all those guys. Five years ago is an eternity, especially yeah. in hobby sports. Most people only stay in a hobby for three, four years. Um, and while shooting can be a very serious endeavor for people that you can do for decades, most people, the people that fill yeah. your matches, get really hot and heavy into it for a period of time. And then they have kids or they get busy or they move or their job gets serious or they get into oh, yeah. some other hobby. And this happens. Um, 
I think that shooting sports will always continue to grow and change and evolve. Uh, I think that the good news with precision rifle growing and growing is you're now getting kind of niche fragments that are pretty cool. So NRL Hunter, kind of a niche fragment. ELR has kind of blown up. Um, These team sniper matches have become cooler and cooler. Or like mammoth ruck style matches uh, or competition dynamics is not new, but there's somebody else that's in kind of that that tighter niche space. I think more of that happens and you get cooler selection, better and better opportunities for people to go go do different things. But uh, I think the PRS is kind of here to stay. The PRS style rimfire is, is here to stay. And I think that the organization that kind of Shannon built and, and Ken has done a wonderful job with taking over is, is stable. Uh, and that's a good thing. There was a, there was that hot spot in PRS where I thought there was an opportunity for it to, uh, to be vulnerable, kind of like we saw with Three Gun and Three Gun Nation. Yeah. But I, I think that things have gone well uh, for the shooting sports stuff. Yeah, I think so. We we do track like how long someone is with our club, for example, and you know the turnover is there. But the thing that we've kind of seen, if you look into the data, like into individuals, is if you track family, like uh, if they make a lot of friends at the match, or if they have you know their kid comes out, as long as you know the the kid doesn't find girls and go off into college or whatever, you typically see people that that kind of have that that group stay a little bit longer. And I, I think that's why I asked kind of like that five-year mark, because like you said, two to three years for an average hobby, but we've seen a little bit longer. So that it's it's interesting. Yeah, infrastructure is so important. Um, and consistent experience is very important. So the largest yeah. food chains on earth, you know, you look at like a McDonald's or a Starbucks or any of those right. products. The reason that people love McDonald's or they love Starbucks, yes, their products are delicious, but I can walk into one of those places, whether it's right next to my house or it's mm-hmm. in Seattle or it's in Key West, wherever you want to go, and the, consistency, right. and the consistency is there on experience. And I think that that's really happening with precision rifle matches. And if you want that non-typical experience, experience there are more and more options available for that. Uh, but having yeah. that centralized standard bearer, either PRS or PRS-22, whatever, like your centralized products, your kind of your vanilla ice cream of precision long-range shooting, uh, they need to be super consistent. I, I want that ice cream yeah. to be exactly the same for everybody to get into it because it's a very palatable product. It's something that's easy to fall in love with. There's an enormous amount of information available uh, for somebody wanting to get into it. Uh, so I think that those structures being, that infrastructure being solid, is uh, is a big deal for uh, precision rifle being having staying power, right? And and people always ask like, what's the value of the membership, right? When you when you buy this membership, I think that's the part that's not emphasized enough is consistency of rules. You go to a USPSA match, it'll have a different flavor, but it'll be the same rule structure. Yep. And I think that the PRS, like one thing that I really hope they start doing a little more, is going to the newer match directors and saying this is what works at the big you know the biggest matches and this is what they do well this is what you're doing really well locally but these these little things you could do to increase that kind of like staying power and make it bigger at the local level yep i agree i agree i I think to do as much as they can the the reality of this is again that 
Ken is not getting rich with the PRS. MDs are no. not getting rich running their matches. Uh, this is very <laughs> no. much a labor of love, uh, especially yeah. at like the professional match level. So you want that person to have as much freedom as possible to express what they love in the match uh, yeah. and try to marry that with, a, with an experience consistency. And that's a difficult balance. Uh, I always thought Absolutely, that yeah. you know, Shannon and now Ken had a very difficult job in kind of herding cats. And what works <laughs> in Texas and what works in North Carolina and what works in Wisconsin can be very different things. Yeah. So making something work generally uh, is it's hard. But I, I think that they've done a quite good job at it, and that's borne out in PRS being being really stable. Yeah. So we've talked about what the sports are going to be in five years. Now, where do you see Area 419 five years from now? Again, five years ago, I was doing this podcast in a $60 a night hotel uh, <laughs> because I hadn't yet moved up here from Missouri. Um uh, so for me to predict that would be uh, – that's a tough prediction. That said, uh, I, I think that we have quite a bit to offer in precision rifle parts and reloading tools and accessories. Uh, we've got internally a roadmap that's at least a year, realistically 18 to 24 months of, uh, of major product rollouts. And there will be small things like, like this mount arm was not something that we obviously had roadmap in June. We had never seen, yeah. never seen the chronograph unit before. Um, but what I'll call a, a, sm a smaller or a simpler release, there's a lot of this stuff that will happen. But the big products uh, and the big projects, we've got a decent roadmap for those. Uh, we also have a great deal of flexibility with that that we enjoy. 100% of the products made here are Area 419 products. We're not a job shop. There's a huge amount of flexibility in that for us. Um, yeah. we're not, we're not a machine shop that was doing everybody else's work that then decided to make some of our own products. Uh, we are very much a, an in-house manufacturer of our own goods. So we have a ton of flexibility here. You see with the, uh, with the golf product, the idea of moving into some other spaces and seeing if being a manufacturer of high-end outdoor goods, uh, hobby goods can be something you can grow in and whether it's golf or archery or fishing or side-by-sides or or pickup trucks or whatever it is, I, I think you'll continue to see us explore doing cool things that we enjoy. Um, but the one thing that I'll tell you won't change is that we will continue to pour kind of heart and soul and everything we have into making really good, really consistent products that make people's lives better uh, when, when they order them from us. It sounds like you guys might be getting into the uh, locomotive industry back there. I think I heard a train horn. <laughs> no, that was... Uh, <laughs> That, that was a roughing pass on one of the machines. So you see, obviously, Homer and the Grove running behind me, but there are 10 machines running right now. And I'm here, and then Drew is here just to make sure that uh, that Homer and the automation system stays happy. Is That thing's been on the floor for two or three weeks, and there are some small kinks that we're making sure work right. Uh, and we wanted to make sure everything ran smoothly in, in the background here. But there are a lot of parts running right now in the shop. And we're a, we're a one-shift shop and continue to invest in automation so that with one shift of team, we can all be here together, we can work together, we can collaborate, um, but still make as many parts as possible and, and be as efficient as possible. That's awesome. So do you guys normally have stuff run overnight? Basically every night. Um, we we have a lot yeah. of machines run all the time, and that's our, our whole goal is every time we double our manufacturing capacity, we want to do it with a 50% increase in manpower. 
uh, and we very much want to have it remain a one shift shop because working overnights, adding all those people, uh, you create, begin to have a, a greater disassociation from different teams of people in the shop. We all like being here at about the same time. So if you're here between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., everybody that works here is here. Now we have some people that will come in really early. Some people, yeah. like some people that run the three first shifts, some people that want to run the like one and a half shift and like work a little bit later in the day. We have a lot of flexibility with our team in that. But through the middle of the day, everybody's here. Everybody's working together. We can really get things done as a team. So um, that's that's a monumentally important part of what we're doing. Yes, it, it would be nice to have everything going on during the day and not have a phone sitting next to you all night that you're waiting for it to ring and see what goes on tonight um so do you have any clue how many product SKUs air 419 has released to date it's around 300 okay so we're getting close so, I, I, I saw that in the show notes and i i'm gonna have to ask justin and maddie to check my math there on about 300 uh we have we have a huge number of products, right? Uh, and inside each of those products are all these part numbers. And then we have different variations and commutations and permutations of different products. So SKUs is how many products we have and then how many SKUs we have are very weird numbers. Part numbers are very weird. Uh, I have no idea what the product number 419 will be, but if we can chart it out, the odds that it is gold are 100%. Uh, you know, we've got on the, on the little, on, on this guy, let's see if it'll autofocus for me so you guys can see. Yep. You know, we've got the little little gold adjustment knob on, on the clamp. We've got a, a litany of kind of gold finished products that, that we really enjoy. If we can, if we know a product is number 419, it'll be gold. I don't care what it is. It might be something that has no business being gold. gold grills. Oh. Justin says we're closer to 400. So we are closer to uh, to product number 419 than, than I thought we were. I uh, I really hope that it's something that has absolutely no business being gold. And it's just like a random height, one piece scope mount or something. And it's just like, yep, sorry. Yeah. This one's only available in gold. Yeah, cantilevered. <laughs> it, it'll, be, it'll be something obscene. Uh, and it will certainly at least exist, if not be available in, in gold. Nice. Good plan. That would be good. Are there any more lives? Any what? what yeah, there. there's a couple. Uh, we did get clarification on what the train noise was. That was apparently a uh, an end mill hogging out something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was heavy material removal. Mike, good ear, Mike. <laughs> uh, he knew. <laughs> and then uh, Jake Vibbert said he loves a zero press... Um, highly recommended. Yeah, and you know, from a guy like Jake who does as much loading, spends as much time on the firing line, as much time on the bench as anybody, uh, that's high praise. Jake, we really appreciate that. Others? And I believe we're good on the live side. Right. Well, at this point, then, I think we can wind it down to shout out. We will start with Greg. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, you said Greg. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead. I'll, I'll go, go to the end. You guys first. You guys first. Sorry. And All right. All right. <laughs> um, so I just want to shout out uh, 
We'll shout out PDC Custom for these awesome rifle chassis back here. Um, and then Hunter's HD Gold to let me actually see the stuff that I'm shooting at. Awesome. How about Corey? Uh, I'd like to shout out uh, Drew and Homer for taking care of everything in the background. Uh, and Craig, obviously you. Is Drew, um, here? Drew we, if you're here, come to me. <laughs> we said it before the show, but you had more props than anyone I think we've ever had on the show before. So that was really cool. Thank you for yeah, making on. that interactive. I'll show you my top down with all the props. So I've, I've got, yes. got my top-down camera here, and I can I can go freehand. And I've got oh, this is this is like an EDC dump just for props. <laughs> yeah, a whole table stacked on a bunch of these are uh, these are scope mounts, raw material, all through here. Pick up any mounts. This whole section is raw aluminum material. It's sorted out on the floor to go on carts and. Uh, Go into go into the machine. One wheel I, drive around, stop on. That's uh, kind of kind of what hey, we Ocean, got going is this there. Okay? No, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one wheel. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's uh, that looks like a trip to the ER. It's job security for me. Um, yeah, just don't just don't be bad at it. If you can't do it, don't get on it. You know, <laughs> we have scooters too. If you don't like the wheel. <laughs> yeah. All right, Craig, how about you? Um, I drew Homer. Um, the the people that have been around for for this trip uh, have been enormously important to us. Uh, by another shout out, that uh, we got a Patreon channel. If you want to be part of the team and get kind of exclusive access to things we're doing. Um, it's patreon.com slash I think team area 419 uh, if you're looking for it hop on over to our Facebook page you'll be able to find it or YouTube whatever we, we plug it somewhat often uh, that's been a fun thing for us and has allowed us to do more cool things on the content side um, so so special props to, to that crew um, obviously the, the crew here at area 419 it's it's the, the joy of my life are, are my wife and my children but I'm immensely blessed to be able to show up here every single day and, and work with some of the finest people on earth doing the coolest things that we can possibly do. Uh, and and growing up as humans with, with people that we really enjoy. And whether they enjoy me or not, I, I, I'm not very I'm not totally sure, but there are a lot of people here that I really enjoy and, and am, am fortunate to get to be with every single day. Uh, many of them are watching, we see them, uh, like Luke and Justin, uh, Nathan's in the, in the chat here. Drew's maybe somewhere in the shop. I'm, I'm not totally sure. I, I thought he was over there programming a little bit. Um, the, the, the team here is is wonderful. But for all of you that have been around for this story with us, who are joining us, who are, who are, who are coming, who are seeing this five years from now, saying, wow, they weren't at all where I thought they were going to be five years ago, um, we appreciate all of you. And that's that's from around the world. So I, I'm, just, I'm just grateful uh, for, for this. That's awesome. Well, I just want to shout you out for coming and spending like what two hours of your Tuesday night with us and for all the support that y'all give to the shooting sports because y'all are really out there and supporting and innovating for our sport. And so thank you for that. Uh, we really yeah, I went I went home early, picked up my daughter from school, played a game of Madden with my son, made tacos and then got back out here. So uh 
I, I kind of flipped away my afternoon and evening work, but, but it's been, uh, I'm glad to be here and let's, let's do this again before five years from now. That's and, what uh, I was about to say. We can't let it go that long. I, it, like if you'd asked me, I'd be like, yeah, we had Craig on. Like it just seems like it was yesterday, but it was five years ago. I guess time flies. Older the days I can be long, but the years have been short. <laughs> that is right. That is right. We've always considered you a friend of the show. So anytime y'all have a new product coming out, by all means, let us know and we'll let you come and do your product table because it'd be great. We're going to call you Vanna White with your hand. You could be a cute, <laughs> cute, cute, cute. Yeah. I mean, Van has been at the top of the game for quite a long time. So I'll take that. She has, really. All right. And with that, it'll be a wrap for episode 419. And we will see y'all next time.